You know, Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 says, you will harvest what you plant. You will harvest what you plant. So this morning, I want to explore the things that cause our crops to fail. Now, that's a farming term. And so uh, many of you can't relate to that kind of a term. But living here in San Joaquin County, you don't have to drive very far to see some beautiful crops. It's all around us. It's what the valley is known for. But so if we were to look at what crops look like in our own lives, I wonder what we could consider to be a crop. Well, your health, your health is a crop, right? Uh, if you invest health and, and good things into your body, you're going to harvest a good, healthy life. Our, our finances, those are crops. Our relationships, our marriages, those are all crops. Anything that you can plant something into, that is your crop. If you plant good things into those areas, you're going to harvest good things out of those areas. But I want to give you just three uh, things this morning that we've got to be aware of that try, where the enemy tries to come in and steal what we have planted. If we're not careful and don't look out for these things, we can have crop failure. The first one is our words. Our words will cause crop failure every time. You can plant good things, but as soon as you start speaking negative things over them, you've killed your crop with your own words. Proverbs 18 says, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those that love it will eat its fruit. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. You know, the moment that you become a believer, and some of you maybe just did that here this morning for your first time, but the moment you become a believer, you have to know you now have a target on your back. And the enemy now, we're told in 1 Peter 5, 8, he is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He's looking for a way to get into your life and mess with you. And typically, he comes with words. He's mostly about words. He's mostly about aggravating you with words. And so he'll start planting all these thoughts into your mind. What is he telling you today? What is he accusing you of doing? What is he throwing into your mind to cause you to think? Uh, if it's contrary to the word of God and you start dwelling on it and you start believing the lies he's telling you, you now are in agreement with the devil. When you start to share the things out of your mouth that are coming to you that are negative, you've now formed yourself an alliance with the enemy himself. To be in confession with somebody means to agree with. It means to agree with. So when you are in confession, confessing things that are not good about yourself, you are agreeing with the enemy. When you start to confess the thoughts that come to your mind, such as, you know, I'm so stupid, or I'm so ugly, or I can't do this, or that's impossible for me to do. God would never uh, let that happen for me, or, or whatever negative thing it is, you start to speak out. You're not in agreement with God. You are in agreement with the devil himself. And that is how we show that we are not victorious, who you agree with. If we are agreeing with God on a consistent basis, we will be victorious on a consistent basis. If we are agreeing with the devil on a consistent basis, we're going to live a defeated life. If we will start agreeing with God, we will behave differently because we will believe differently. When you start to agree with what the word of God says about you and you speak those things and that's what you're confessing, that's what you're in agreement with, you're going to behave different because you're going to believe different. Luke 6.45 tells us out of the overflow of the mouth, of the heart, the mouth speaks. So whatever's in your heart, that's what's coming out of your mouth. So what are you believing this morning? Be careful that uh, what the, the things that you're speaking over your lives and over your situations, that they're not negative, that they're not coming from the devil. 
our words can cause crop failure. Number two, selfishness. Selfishness will cause crop failure. You can try to plant in your relationships, but if you're selfish, they will not thrive. Your crop will fail. This happens in marriages. When, whenever there's marital strife, it typically comes because one person isn't willing to let their self go and, and give to the other person. Selfishness destroys marriages. You can try to plant a healthy marriage, but if you're selfish, it's not going to prosper. Selfishness causes crop failure. In a friendship, if you've got a friendship, when, and you've all been there before, you have a one-sided friendship where you feel like you're the one who's always doing everything and listening, and, and you're, the, you're, you're the one doing everything in the relationship, and your, your friend is selfish, it's not a productive relationship. It's not one that you keep around for any length of time. The antonym to selfishness, meaning the opposite of selfish, is generous. Generosity. If we could be generous people, we will defeat selfishness every time. The definition of generosity is a willingness to give help or support, especially more than is usual or expected, and it's an abundance. Now, most of us in this room would probably say we're generous. We we think we're generous, right? We like to think that we're generous, but sometimes we think generosity is just, you know, your things that you should do just because you're a human. Like, for example, if you go to a birthday party, you know you take a birthday gift. That's not really being generous. That's just what you do as good human decency. If you go to somebody's house for dinner, you always offer to bring something, right? You bring the loaf of bread or you bring a dessert or whatever. That's not really being generous. That's just what you do. There's a lot of things in society that we just do because it's the human decent thing to do, but we think it's generous. It's not really generous if you look at the definition that says it's got to be something that's not usual and something unexpected. That's when it's generous. So generosity is taking the extra mile. Generosity is doing more for somebody else than they ever would have expected you to do. Generosity is abundance, right? God is a generous God. He has done the unusual for us. Would you all agree? He has given us the unexpected. John 1 verse 16 says, From his abundance we have all received one gracious blessing after another. He's just generous. We experience his generosity every day. He gives to us just to give. You and I had nothing to do with our own personal creation. We didn't do that. You and I have nothing to do with the sun rising and the sun setting. He just does that for us. You and I have no control over the rains that come to uh, replenish the crops. We have no control over that. But he gives that to us because he gives us good gifts. It's all from God. And it's unearned by us. So in light of the generosity that you and I have received from God, how can we not be generous to people? Matthew 10 verse 8 tells us to freely give to give as we have freely received. Generous people are fun to be around, right? You don't want to be around a Scrooge. <laughs> you, you don't want to be around the person that always like, you know, the bill comes to the table and they're like, they ignore it for a really long time, hoping you're going to pick it up. You don't want to be around that person. You want to you be out to eat with Joey who pays for everybody when you go out to eat. <laughs> he, will, he will pay for everybody. <laughs> don't call he will always pay for your meal, and if he sees you in a restaurant, he'll pay for their meal too. But if you're not a part of it, he's generous that way. I want to be. I want to be eating with Joey. You buy me some lunch later. Okay. Good. No. No. Yeah. I'll send you to the grocery store. Why do men come back with everything you didn't ask for? 
right? They come back with the weirdest of things. And then he always buys the expensive brand. And I'm like, no, you got to get the sale brand. You never buy the name brand. You always get the sale brand. But he doesn't know. He, bless his heart. <laughs> All right, guys. The third thing that will cause crop failure, the third thing that will cause crop failure in your life is stealing. Mmm, stealing. What? 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 Stealing. Yep, stealing will cause crop failure. So I'm taking you to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. This is God himself speaking. I bring you guys this scripture a lot because it's so powerful. But I want to teach you something this morning if you would let me. Malachi chapter 3 says, I am the Lord. I do not change. I do not change. That's why you descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you've scorned my decrees and you failed to obey them. Now return to me and I'll return to you, says the Lord. But you ask, how can we return when we've never gone away? Should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. You've robbed me, other translations say. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? He says, you've cheated me of the tithe and the offering that's due to me. You're under a curse. Your whole nation, uh, your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my temple. If you do, I will open the windows of heaven. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant. Everybody say abundant. Abundant, for I will guard them from insect and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe. Then the nations will call you blessed. Now, I remember learning this scripture as a teenager. I had just given my life to the Lord when I was 14 years old. And I remember learning this scripture. At this time, I, I actually, when I was 14, I got a job as a maid in a hotel, which I really loved. I really enjoyed that. A um, little creepy. Some people are real creepy in hotel rooms, but for the most part, I really loved that job. And I enjoyed it until the boss found out that I was only 14, didn't realize I was 14, so he fired me, which was sad. But that was okay. I went next door and got a job at Taco Bell. So I started working at Taco Bell, and y'all, I can make a mean burrito. I mean, if you need help folding your burrito, I will do it for you. I, I, I was a good Taco Bell employee. But at Taco Bell, when I was uh, 15 at this point, I made $4.25 an hour. That was minimum wage, and that's what I made. Now, when my daughters, whenever I get them a Frappuccino at Starbucks, I'm like, you are sucking back my hour's worth of work. That took me an hour to make that $4.25. But I made $4.25 an hour, and you know what I did with that? I tithed off my paycheck. I tithed off it because I knew this principle. I had started to learn what giving meant. My youth pastor had taught me this exact scripture to know what it was. So my hope this morning is maybe this will be a moment for some of you will say, the day that Jen taught me that scripture is the day that I started applying this principle in my life. I loved my youth pastors. They were such generous people. They picked up a broken girl, and I didn't even realize how broken uh, that I was when I met them, but I was very broken. And I didn't trust people, let alone men. I had no trust in men. I'd been abused in various situations, and so I didn't have any trust in men. So the fact that I was able to even listen to him and receive from him was only the Lord. But at 14 years old, I had accepted Jesus. My mom had married a man that was a Christian after she had finally left my father, who was an alcoholic, uh, when I was about seven years old, she left him. She had tried to leave him numerous times before, 
Uh, but because she was so young herself, she was 14 when she got pregnant, that she really had no other option. She had nothing else that she could do. And so she just felt trapped in this relationship. But the abuse was so intense that she finally got up enough courage to leave him. And so from the season of when I was about 7 to about 12, when she remarried, uh, she, we had various other men in our life and in the home. And the damage continued. It was just in a different way. And so finally, when, my mom, uh, when I was 12, my mom remarried and we went to church. And it made her so happy, you know, for us to all go. So I went with her just because it made her happy. And I didn't pay much attention. I didn't really care for the message. Uh, but, but, you know, I made a few friends. And in this youth group, they were going to take a trip to Mexico. And so I thought, well, that sounds like fun. I'd like to go to Mexico. So I went to Mexico with the youth group. And I remember driving through Tijuana. It's a very poor part of Mexico. And as we were driving through it on the bus, all the, all the kids were loud and obnoxious as a bus full of teenagers would be. But I found myself staring out the window, watching what was passing me by. And it broke my heart. I was watching children. And they were so poor. And they were begging for food. And it was more than my emotions could handle in that moment. And I didn't know how to process it because I so badly wanted to get off the bus and help them. But I had nothing in me to help them with. At this point, I could barely function in social societies because of all of the different uh, things that had occurred in my life. But, you know, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 says that God has set eternity in the hearts of men. And so God's eternity was at work in my heart that day. You know, I can remember when I was 12 and 13 years old, I would find myself in really bad situations that a 12 and 13-year-old girl shouldn't be in. I would sneak out of the house at night. My mom didn't know I was doing these things. And I would go down the street to my friend's house, and we would hang out with much older people. And so I was surrounded by a lot of drugs and alcohol and uh, different parties and environments that I shouldn't have been putting myself in. But I can remember being in those environments, and a lot of kids my age might think, oh, this is cool to be doing this. But I really felt embarrassed. I felt embarrassed to be there. And I had no reason to be embarrassed. Everybody I was with was acting stupid and making dumb choices. But I felt embarrassed. And I, 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 I felt like I didn't belong there. What, why am I here? What am I doing? And I know now it's because of Ecclesiastes chapter 3 that God had set eternity in my heart. I was made for something more than what I was settling for. And the same is for you this morning. God has set eternity in your heart. You're made for more than what you're settling for. Some of you are settling for second best in your life. That's not what God made you for. He made you for more. He set eternity in your heart. So I gave my life to the Lord uh, that summer. I was 14 years old, about to go into high school. And so in Mexico, I gave my life to the Lord, and I've never looked back. I have loved him ever since. Um, and I'm so grateful that God's hand was always on me, protecting me and preserving me. So when I got to know my youth pastors, their names were Jeff and Dee Dee, um, it was only God that helped me to trust them. And I started to learn just by watching their life. I would watch their marriage, the way they interacted with each other, and it was so foreign to me to see a marriage that enjoyed one another. And so I watched that, and, and, and I got to watch the way they would speak to us and the way they left their home open and the door unlocked for us to come in anytime we wanted to. And they didn't even realize that they were teaching me how to function, how to speak right, how to be in social settings. They had no idea that they were repairing a broken little girl that had been, had been the product of abuse for so many years. Just their living their life affected me. That's why generosity is so important because their generosity, by me watching them live their life, they were changing mine. 
So that's why when you, you have no idea who's watching you today, they had no idea they were impacting my life on such a great level. I've since told them numerous times that they did. But you have no idea who's watching you today, whose life you're impacting today, who's learning from your life, who's learning from watching what you're going through. In their generosity, they were giving me life. And they were giving me life through the word. I was learning in youth what forgiveness was, that I can actually forgive the people that had abused me. I was learning what it looked like to have peace, to be able to walk with forgiveness and to be able to walk with freedom. And so he was teaching me all these great truths that were bringing me personal freedom. So when he took us to Malachi chapter 3 and he told us, you guys, this is for you. You've got to start giving. That was a no-brainer to me. Of course I will do that because I'm receiving all this wonderful freedom in my life. And I'm changing my whole perspective on life. And now you're telling me this scripture. Okay, I'll do that too because ultimately the word of God is either all the word of God or it's none the word of God. We either choose to believe every bit of it or we don't believe it at all. That's really that simple. So for me, I've been following God's principles of tithing since I was a teenager. Uh, since I could tithe off my check at Taco Bell, I have been tithing. And I have never, ever considered not doing it. It's easy to say, oh, if I just held off for this month, I could save up for this. Or oh, God would understand. I've never considered not tithing. I was 15 year old, years old then. I'm 42 now. That's a lot of years of tithing, you guys. That's a lot of years. That's a lot of seed that I've got stored up in eternity. And so I share my personal story with you, not to say, like, I'm so amazing that I do this. I share it with you because so many times we hear people say, all the church does is ask for money. Now, I can't speak for other churches. I can't speak for pastors. I can only speak for Joey and I. I know the content of our heart. Um, if you don't like this topic, you might not like Oasis Church because we're not going to teach you just a little bit of the Bible. We're going to teach you all the Bible. This is God's principles. It's not my idea. I chose as a teenager to take this word very literally. When I was a teenager, I took it very literally. I still take it very literally today. I'm not a broken girl anymore, but you better believe I'm very fragile. I need this word. I need this word. I was created to need the word. Why? Because eternity has been set in my heart. I'm created to need it. So back to Malachi, this is God speaking. He's saying, you've gone away from my ordinances, which means you've gone away from my ordinary principles of living, that this is how believers should live. And so he tells them in Malachi, you're under a curse for not doing it. You're stealing. Your crops are failing because you are not obeying God in this arena. Now, many people say Christians can't be under a curse because Christ bore that on the, on the cross. He bore, bore that, and that, that is true. Yes, he did, but that was for our salvation. That was so you could receive salvation. Ultimately, a curse is a consequence, right? You can't expect to not obey the rules and not have a consequence, right? Okay, listen, I got caught stealing at Kmart when I was like 13 years old. And you better believe I had a consequence because of my action. It's the same scenario. You can't expect to go through life and you will disobey God's ordinary principles for living and everything just goes la, 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 la. You can't. Every action we have has consequences. So God says, listen, I want that 10% for me. That's holy. I'll give you, I will give you 100%. We all agree God gives us our source of income. He gave you your job. He gave you however you receive your income. 
we all agree God did that, right? He opened those doors for you. He says, I'm giving you all this to work with. He didn't have to do that. He's God. He could say, you get nothing. <laughs> but he's so gracious. He says, I'm giving it all to you to work with. All I want you to do is give me back the 10% because it's a test. This is the only place in scripture where God says, test me in this. I want you to test me, you guys. See if I won't do this. That's not a test I'm willing to pass up. Because at the end of the day, you either believe God is who he says he is or you don't. You either believe that God is your way maker or you don't. You either believe that God is Jehovah Jireh, he's the God that provides, or you don't believe it. You either believe that scripture says he puts his angels in charge to protect you and to keep you in all of your ways. You either choose to believe it or you don't. You either choose to believe that scripture says God is gracious, he's slow to, to, to anger, he's quick to mercy, he's quick to compassion. You either believe that that's who God is or you don't believe it. I choose to believe that that is. I choose to believe that he is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. I choose to believe that he is above, he is never beneath. I choose to believe that he is my conqueror, he is my deliverer, he is my provider, he is my best friend, he is everything I will ever need. I choose to believe that. And so because I believe that, I'm going to honor God in this principle. The Hebrew word for tithe, it means tenth or ten percent. You know, did you ever think, why did God set it up that way? Well, he set it up that way so it was fair. It wouldn't be fair if God said, I want every family to give X amount of dollars. Well, not every family could do that. So he says, you just give me 10%. I just want 10%. And he says, I want you to bring it back into the storehouse. I want you to bring it back into the church. God says, I want to bless you. I want to hold back the devourer for your sake. I want to throw open those windows of heaven and pour out blessing on you. You won't have room enough to receive it, but it's going to depend on you. You have to believe that you can live far better off 90% with God's blessing than you can off of 100% without God's blessing. It's really that simple. It's really that simple. Leviticus chapter 27 tells us that the tithe is holy. That is God's money. That 10%, it is set apart and it is holy. So if you do not give it, you are holding on to something that was set apart for the Lord. It's holy. And now you might say, Jen, that's great. That's the Old Testament though. You're giving me all Old Testament scriptures. Oh, okay, I can go to the New Testament for you. And I can even do better than just the New Testament. I can give you Jesus himself. Matthew chapter 23, this is Jesus speaking. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. So Jesus himself is saying, you guys, you tithe not only off of your first fruits, but he's saying, you guys even tithe off the spices you're going to put on your food. He says, yes, you should do that. But don't forget the other stuff. That's Jesus. He is telling you, yes, you got to do these things. You should do these things. I want to close out our time uh, with the story out of 2 Chronicles chapter 31. This is King Hezekiah, and he's reading scriptures, and he sees verses about tithing. And, he, and at this time, they're in an economic recession, and he realizes we are under a curse, the whole nation, because we're not tithing. We're stealing from God. So that's where we pick up the story. In 2 Chronicles chapter 31, it says, Moreover, he commanded the people who dwelt in Jerusalem to contribute to support the priests and the Levites. And they, he told them to start bringing their tithe to the house of the Lord. Now, 
Now listen, you guys have to know, I, I'm only sharing these scriptures with you because I'm passionate about them because of what they've done in my own life. This is the one thing I have been consistent in my whole Christian walk with the Lord. This is the one thing I've been consistent in. I am as flighty and as flaky as the day is long. I will leave here and forget my name. I'm scattered. I forget stuff. I'm the mom that's like, I only have two kids. And I'm like, you, who are you? Come here, whatever kid you are. I, I'm always scattered and, and, and my mind is in a million different directions. And I've kind of always, you know, struggled in that area. But this is one thing I've been consistent in. I have failed. I have flopped. I have made so many mistakes. But I've never stopped tithing because I know that it is a test the condition of my heart. How can I say I trust God with everything else, but I don't trust him with my money? I don't, tr I don't put action behind my trust. That wouldn't be right. So I've never done it. And I have to tell you, in all my years, that is the only reason why I believe I function today as I do, because I've obeyed this principle, because I've honored God with this principle. It's so important to do. I believe any good thing that I have today is as a result of this principle. I remember being in college. I, I paid my way through college somehow. God provided for me to go, through, go to school. I didn't have family helping me do it. I did it. God helped me to do it. And I remember being in college, and I had no money. I, I, I got my rent paid, and I, like had, I had like nothing. And somebody came to my door with a box of Raisin Bran and $10 and said, God told him to give it to me. And I was like, oh my gosh, I got 10 bucks and a box of Raisin Bran. It's a good day. It's going to be a regular day. Get it? <laughs> that was so inappropriate. So unnecessary. But it was true. I was so excited. And I knew God provided because I had just given my tithe the day before. I was like so jazzed. God does things like that for us. He does when you obey him in this principle. Okay, Hezekiah, uh, really quickly, I just want to get this over to you. So It's such a great, great story. So Hezekiah tells them, you guys got to start bringing your tithe into the storehouse. I want all of you to start doing it. And it says in Scripture, they did it in abundance. They did not hesitate. They didn't hold back. They did it in abundance. And so three months goes by, and King Hezekiah comes back to check on the progress, and he sees heaps. He sees all this food that they brought in in heaps. And he says to the priest, he says, oh, my gosh, do the people have anything left for themselves? They took this too literally. They gave everything. I wanted them to just give 10%. And the priest says, no, 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 king. You look here. These heaps you see, this is just the 10%. Look, if you should go out and see the 90% that they're living on. That's even more heaps. What's the message? The message is God came through. The moment they obeyed this principle, God was able to then open the windows of heaven and pour out blessing. They couldn't receive it. It was too, too much. It's an amazing story. It's an amazing story. Jesus told us when he left, he said, listen, I'm going away. I'm going to go to prepare a place for you that where I am there you may also be. And he says, I'm going to come back for you. But while I'm gone, I want you to take care of my bride. You know, the, the, the body of Christ is often referred to as the bride. This is, you're his bride. You're, you're special. You're precious to Jesus. And so when he's telling us to bring the tithe into his house to take care of his church, I think, I think it's a little more important to him than maybe we've ever thought it was because we're taking care of his wife. We're taking care of his bride with that tithe. 
why would he consider that 10% so holy? Because it's to take care of you. It's to take care of his bride. It's to take care of people that don't know him yet, to get him into the kingdom. It's to go out and feed people that, that can't do it on their own. It's taking care of his people. That's why it's so holy. Because God does nothing without benefiting you. He's not saying, I want you to give this to me just because I want to keep it. No, he's saying, there's a benefit here. There's a benefit. Ultimately, it's people. He wants you well, but he wants people to know him well. That's why he says, bring it into my house, that there may be food in my house. Would you stand this morning? It's a test. It's always a test. So we want to harvest healthy crops. As you go about your week, I want to encourage you to uh, look at your crops that you're planting in. Be careful the words you're speaking. May you be speaking positive, God-given words over your life, over yourself, over your family, that you're, you're planting healthy things so you can harvest a healthy crop in your families. Be careful to let generosity flow out of you. Don't let selfishness rise up. Let's be a generous people. We all want to be known as generous people. We want to be the people that, that everybody knows is generous. Man, they do more than is expected. Man, they always go above and beyond what they had to do. And we want to obey God in the tithe. We want to obey God in the tithe. I, I hope that some of you will take this today and say, today's the day. Just as Jennifer's youth pastors encouraged her to do it, and I didn't give it a second thought because I loved everything else I was getting. So I took that too. I hope maybe today for you, this will be the day where you say, I'm going to give that a shot. I'm going to test God. I'm going to test God and see what he'll do.